the bus taking me is there and I say goodbye to my dad and I'm walking halfway down that hallway and I stop, I turn around and I don't see my dad anymore. And it kind of hit me that, you know, this was that moment that I was, uh, you know, to my right was this, the light and this new life and this exciting and terrifying thing. And to my left was this old life and, uh, kind of like my childhood, you know, and, and, uh, I just stood there for a moment. I remember just kind of absorbed it and just was like, well, shit, this is it. Welcome to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members transition from military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org and donations are always welcome at the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org slash donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment. Welcome to another educational edition of the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. We are here overlooking the Milwaukee River in downtown West Bend, Wisconsin. I am your co host, Mike Orban, and today we will be traveling downriver to Milwaukee to catch up with Mark Allen. Mark was born and raised in central Wisconsin to a large family. He is the eldest male child of 14 total siblings, eight boys, and six girls. Mark graduated from Nasita High School in 1998 and joined the Marines in 1999, where he served eight years of active duty and achieved the rank of sergeant. Deployed to Fallujah, Iraq in 2004, he participated in Operation Phantom Fury. Mark exited the service in 2006 and subsequently attended school at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay, where he completed his bachelor's degree. Mark has worked in the veteran community since 2012 in both nonprofit and state government. He is presently the development director for Feast of Crispian and is on his last semester of his master's program at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Let's welcome Mark Allen. Mark, thanks for coming in. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's our honor. Let's get started. We've, we've spoken before and just going to go through a little bit of format and tell us about this family of 14 <laughs> kids and uh, where you fit in. Uh, was, did, did they have room to feed a dog or a cat? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, like we were talking just before we hit record here, uh, it's a big family from central Wisconsin. I am the eldest male child of, of all of them. Um, and uh, like we were talking earlier uh, about our religious backgrounds, we're uh, my family is very, very Catholic, very traditional Catholic. Uh, of course, my name is Mark. And then my uh, younger brothers are uh, not in order, of course, you'll notice if you're if you remember your catechism. But it's it goes Mark, Matt, 
Luke, John, Benjamin, Samuel, Jesse, and Jordan is our my our stepbrother. But um, yeah, so it doesn't go Matt, Mark, Luke, John. It goes Mark, and the reason for that is because I'm I'm Mark Junior. I'm a surname. Uh, so. so obviously, very yeah. strong Catholic background. Very strong Catholic uh, uh, background. Uh, I did, as you mentioned, uh, eight years in the Marines. Uh, my brother Matthew. Uh, is just about to retire from 20 years in the National Guard. Uh, he did two year-long tur- tours in, in Iraq. Um, my brother John was in the Navy, but he ended up getting out on a medical after about uh, two years. Um, actually, he he washed out of BUDS training, for those that don't know, which is basic underwater uh, diving school for Navy SEALs. He uh he tore, tore something in his shoulder. He got out on a medical, but he uh, was just a few weeks sh- short of uh, graduated. So that kind of sucked for him. But, uh, and then my brother uh, Samuel uh, was in the Air Force, and uh, he's actually just getting out now on his second tour with the Army Guard or the Air Guard uh, because of a medical. And my brother Jesse was also in the, in the National Guard, and he did a tour over in Afghanistan. So we got... My parents have like four silver stars under the belts. Your parents do with with, with your brothers. You, you do My, all of our brothers. We have four deployments under in wow. our family. What about your parents, Mark? Your your dad, uncles, grandparents? No, no. Uh, you know my all my most of my aunts and uncles, except for my uncle Jeff, uh, who did a stint in the Navy. Uh, none of them served in the military because they were kind of in that zone between. You know, Korea, Vietnam, and then that space went uh, before a uh, uh, 91 Gulf War. So oh, yeah. none of them really served. And I think a lot of that had to do with my grandpa. Both my my grandfathers were Marines. My grandpa on my mother's side was in the Corps during Second World War. And he was on that island hopping campaign through Saipan, oh, uh, the yeah. islands out there. Yeah, he was a demolition guy, too. Um, and then my, my dad's dad, uh, my grandfather, Ard, he was in the Corps, but he, he served in Korea with the 1st Marines in the Chosen. Um, Chosen Reservoir. And I think, I think, you know, he never, of course, he never really talked about it much, uh, obviously. Neither of them did. Uh, but I think that uh, he, that had a lot of uh, influence on my uncles in terms of, he, I don't think my grandpa wanted them to join the service. So none of them, none of them really did, so... Well, which all makes sense, I'm sure, to you now in retrospect, thinking back on it. Absolutely. So let's stay with your family for just a little bit, because I know, again, in our previous conversations, Mark, uh, religion is a big part of your experience. When I grew up Catholic, too, nine brothers and sisters, uh, altar boy, all of that sort of thing, church every day of the week, uh, prayers on uh, during Lent on the hands and knees in front of the blood and heart of Christ, all of these things. Lots of rosaries and novenas. Oh, my goodness, rosaries (laughs) and uh, confessionals, and I I probably still owe a lot of Hail Marys and Our Fathers along the way somewhere. I'm still making (laughs) (laughs) So that so that was a big part. How about how about uh, sports and music or what what was your childhood you activities the, yeah before. oh i mean for me personally yeah. or like from, well in your family how you know do you guys packer fans or music oh fans yeah or play course, fans we're 100 wisconsinites you know um sundays were uh and of course we have a very big extended family so you know uh sundays was church and then packer game at grandma's with you know breakfast <laughs> sunday breakfast you know biscuits and gravy and yeah all homemade 
and then yeah, yeah. you know so yeah you, yeah i think everyone here knows what that's what that's about yeah so, uh, and so uh, tell me how long was your dinner table uh, <laughs> did you have chairs or better with or without the extension <laughs> with the extension it was pretty big pretty big yeah did so you have i think we could fit most of the adults at that one but all the kids would be scattered all around the place, you know? <laughs> grab your plate and run <laughs> yeah, exactly right so you let's break yeah yeah really exactly eat it while it's and, and, and while there's some left in the pot it. Yeah, try not to get into a fist fight while you're uh, coming and going. <laughs> yeah, all the good preparations for being that's a Marine. Right. So that's now, right. You know, that, that, that skill set uh, came in really handy when it came to eating at the chow hall. I was always the first one yeah, done. Always had hot food, yeah. Always the first one done, yeah. Right. So now you're, you're, you have a good uh, substantial background in the military. Your family does. You're, you're getting ready to... Uh, enter the, the the military. What what inspires you to do this? How did you pick the Marines? What year was that? I know it was the year after high school, so we're we're nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, so I spent a year after uh, graduating, just you know, screwing around, partying, not really giving a, too much about anything, just having a good time. And you know, it's interesting because I joined in nineteen ninety nine, and I had flirted with joining the military. You know all throughout the uh, high school years. And uh, um, I wasn't really sure. didn't have much direction. And, you know, it's interesting, man. You know, the I think I was one of the last. So, you know, if you and I probably remember this, maybe the younger guys don't so much, but it used to be that, you know, if you got in trouble at the county, at the county, you were in the county jail, um, a lot of times guys would be able to get out of their legal issues if they join the military, you know, and the Marines were infamous for kind of just taking anyone, you know, because they were the Marines. Um, so, you know, a lot of guys, you remember the, uh, you know, a lot of guys, uh, and I'm sure a lot of it was just, was a lot of fluff, but, um, you know, Hey man, why'd you join the Corps? Well, I was looking at a couple of years for this or that. So I joined and the judge let me off, you know, uh, I had a kind of a similar situation, uh, in that, I got into some legal issues and uh, I had already been kind of flirting with joining the Marines, but that, that really kind of put me over the edge uh, as a way to kind of dodge some uh, legal ramifications for some stupid stuff that myself and some of my friends did. Uh, we, uh, someone had the bright idea of breaking into the old high school. See my hometown, they had just, I was the last class that graduated out of this old high school building and the town had just built, <clears throat> a new high school on the other side of town. So the old high school building was vacant after I graduated, after my class graduated. And at the time we were all really big into playing paintballs, paintball war, where you, sure, you, have, you know, sure. like paintball tournaments sure. and oh, messing yeah. around. So, and I'm actually, uh, uh, full disclosure, I was the one who came up with the idea to break into the old vacant high school building and have paintball tournaments inside the old paint, the high school, <clears throat> which, um, you know, flowered into more than what I had expected because uh, someone, you know, we just had, we parted in there and we ended up getting busted by the, by the police, by the cops. And uh, I was looking at, you know, some, um, at the very least, some community service time, probably some jail time for breaking and entering, destruction of private property, all that. But I remember in a conversation I had with the district attorney, uh, who with my grandpa and my dad were also present. And uh, they had mentioned that I was uh, talking with the recruiter and it, 
they I remember they all kind of looked at me at the same time, like, well, I guess you're, you know, in the DA. I remember my grandpa said something like, is there anything he can do to, uh, you know, make this go away or something like is in the eyes of the court or the laws or anything he can do. And uh, my dad said, well, he's been talking with that Marine recruiter and the DA and they all looked at me at the same time. And I was like, well, <laughs> looks like that's, that's that, you know, and uh, sure as shit, man. I, I went and talked to the recruiter after that and, and uh, went in open contract. I just remember walked in and said, Hey man, when's the soonest you can get me out of here? And just looked up at the calendar for two weeks. I said, all right, let's do this. And that was it, you know? Wow. And, uh, yeah, so then I was on to California. Wow, so so we can stand behind all of the uh, the commercials with the, the Marine and, the, and the, the, the beautiful dress uniform and the saber, but yours was really just... Yeah, right. But, but, yeah. Yeah. Mine, mine was someone chasing behind me with a chapel. <laughs> <laughs> better go, dude. You know? Yeah. Right. No, but, uh, so so in, in actuality, there was... In 1999, there was really there was no war going on. There was nothing, nothing happening no, at, that time. at the time. You know, Clinton was in office. Uh, you know, the Cold War just ended. You know, there was a lot of talk of the peace dividend and all of that. Right. So that was like there was there were you know the Soviets were gone. There were what, what, what was there going on? You know, of course, I, uh, actually, I think it was a time where a lot of a lot of guys, a lot of people, men and women, were joining the military service to get the military edu- uh, to get the education. It was peacetime, yeah. and you know, oh, we'll yeah, join yeah. here, and I'll go to college. You know, and uh, you know, anytime the, you know, it fluxes, man. So when the economy is doing good, you know, the military has to in, has to decrease their recruiting standards and increase the incentives. You know, but when the economy is doing bad, then they can increase the recruiting standards and decrease the the, the monetary incentives to attract people. Mm. Um, so at that time, I don't really, I don't, I couldn't tell you, but I, you know, the economy was doing so so. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people do join the service simply for, you know, the education benefits and, um, you know, the experience and sense of duty and all that kind of stuff. So for me, it was kind of out of necessity and everything else. Right. Uh, Survival. (laughs) So uh, before we jump in, I just want Nasita's near Green Bay, isn't it? No, Nasita is in the middle of the state. It's It's right right next to Castle Rock and Petenwell Lakes. Oh, wow. Okay. Right in the middle of the boonies, man. Yeah. The reason I ask is because I know in Oshkosh, they they have the big plant that builds uh, a lot of the military equipment, and they always get excited when when there's a war and they get the big contracts for the tanks and the Humvees. Oh, they get those anyways. Yeah, they get them anyways, yeah. so. So now you join the Marines, and are you afraid, nervous, anxious, uh, happy? Oh my God. Cut ties uh, and go. Is there a big ceremony with your family of uh, patriotism yeah, so, and honor? And so sending off, you know, uh, the the real shtick, and is, this is like a story I think of anyone, any young man's life. You know, there's always the relationship with the father that's always an issue. But as far as like, like I remember I, my grandfather. Had we had a, the family had a uh, machine shop. We had a family-owned business that was actually doing quite well when I had left for the Marines. And um, of course, I had worked there. My cousins and you know family and friends of family and everything worked there. And uh, they sent me off. Uh, it was kind of a surprise. They shut the whole plant down and had a surprise going away for me. And you know, it was it was it was surreal. I'll never forget. You know, my dad. Uh, uh, made a point to drive me to the bus, which was picking me up in uh, Stevens point, drop me off with the recruiter up there at the, at the mall to pick up, I think one or two other guys. That's how they added range. So my dad took me up there 
And uh, yeah, I'll never forget that moment. You know, we were at the end of this long hallway and uh, at the end of the hallway, this is, it was kind of uh, almost archetypal in a way where the symbology of it, the representation of it, uh, you know, so I remember at the end of this long hallway, the sun was coming through. So it like kind of represents the light, you know, the, the start of a new life is like through this door at the end of this long, dark hallway. And the bus taking me is there and I say goodbye to my dad and I'm walking halfway down that hallway and I stop, I turn around and I don't see my dad anymore. And it kind of hit me that, you know, this was that moment that I was, uh, you know, to my right was this, the light and this new life and this exciting and terrifying thing. And to my left was this old life. And, uh, kind of like my childhood, you know, and, and, uh, I just stood there for a moment. I remember just kind of absorbed it and just was like, well, shit, this is it, you know, and I'm going back. And, uh, yeah, I just went on, got on the bus, took off. It was exciting. I remember I had this shit grin on my face <laughs> right up until the first or second night of boot camp because I could, because I remember I would be laying there in bed, just smiling. Like I could not believe what I was doing. Like I was just, it was just, I was like, I can't believe this is how I'm doing this. This is, this is crazy. Yeah. And there you are without your, your paint gun. You know? <laughs> yeah. Without nothing. You know? I mean, but I, I, let, let me just stop you for a second there. And yeah. I think that's an extremely important point you just made. And you made it so beautifully that, that leaving of the, the your boyhood, the childhood, the family and crossing over, under yeah. your own control now. The threshold, man, like in like the, you know, a hero of a thousand faces sure. kind of arc. Yeah. You know, and that was that moment. And I, re- I knew it then. I, I mean, I, if you asked me to articulate it at the time, I was too young and stupid and naive yeah. to know it. You know, I, I, oh, I agree. I, I wonder if any could, any of us could really articulate, but you did a beautiful job of it because that's such an important moment where we're leaving that past and we're going into really the unknown. Yeah. Well, that's the, uh, um, in Campbell's, like that's the uh, the hero's journey, right? That's yeah, part of it. Uh, yeah, acknowledging or, or hearing the call, you know. And uh, it was a, it was a it was a mixed time. I had a an awkward kind of childhood, at least. You know, my parents got divorced when I was thirteen, and you know, of course, being the oldest male child, we we grew up in a uh, we were we were dirt poor, man. Like we didn't know how you know when you're that poor, you don't know how poor you are until you get out into the world and then you realize, like, oh my god. You know, we grew a lot of our own food. We were very self-sustainable, you know, self-sustaining. We uh, took advantage of all the fields of heart when harvest time came around, potatoes and corn and all that. We canned a lot. We hunted, raised rabbits, you know, um, very self-reliant. My mom and dad did not make a lot of money. You know, we had a real little piece of shit house that had a, uh, it was basically, it was one of those old manufactured homes that had a, a living room addition built onto the back of it. Didn't have a basement, had the, you know, the original sheeting on the side. We did have a, a garage off to the side, you know, but um, yeah, I mean, with all those, we were two to a room at least. Some of us were three to, three to a room at a time. We cut our own wood to heat the house. So the summers were basically just cutting wood all summer so we could stack the garage and, you know, have enough wood to, to, for the winter. And, uh, you know, me and my brothers every few days having to go out there with a wheelbarrow, stack it up full of wood. And then we would all, as a team, would have to push it through the snow and then haul it into the house when there's like, you know. Yeah, man, it was, uh, 
was a crazy, crazy growing up. It is crazy. And boy, are you in for a wide, uh, a rude or, or happy or exciting awakening when you go up and see the world. But how, how, just tell us quickly, Mark, how did your mom feel about you joining the Marines? Oh, she hated the idea, but she understood very much that I needed it. I yeah. mean, being in central Wisconsin and, and uh, with all the crazy, you know, there was nothing there. There's nothing to offer, you know, and I, I remember, you know, I, I very much appreciated that, you know, I had a job with my grand, you know, my family and all that, but I just didn't see myself doing that. You know, you know, I was, uh, they were training me to be a CNC machinist and all that. And I remember just, I remember one day, I remember looking around at everyone and they're like in their mid life arc, you know, and they're doing the same thing over and over. And I just, I don't know. I just did not see myself doing that. And, um, Okay, yeah. so so now you 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 get your military training and uh, in in the Marine Corps, and you are set to go off to Fallujah. Uh, yeah, take us to what, what your expectations there, and what was the actual experience when you were going through that part of your military uh, experience? Oh, well, that was a that was a wild time, I think, for everyone, especially if you were in the Marines at that time. Um, you know, it was right about right not long after I had re-enlisted. I had originally re-enlisted to go on a B-billet on a, an assignment in Quantico uh, for Marine Security Guard duty. And I ended up washing out of that because I tore some ligaments in my ankle. And I made it back to California, to Camp Pendleton. The, the very day, all my friends uh, were deploying to Iraq for the initial invasion. So I missed the initial invasion, which was, you know surreal and kind of embarrassing and all that. But, uh, the second time around, I, so, so I, you know, and then when, of course, when they all came back and they all had their big stack of ribbons, uh, and I only had my one little dinky one, you know, I could let that stand because they were all talking so much shit, you know? And, um, so for me, it was, it was more about the adventure of it. And, uh, you know, everyone, no, no one was killed. I heard all the stories they were telling and I just did, you know, of course the, listening to the media and and I knew that we were going to Fallujah and of course and I think I remember I volunteered to go to Fallujah because I was just you know young I think I was 23 cocky you know invincible didn't have any idea what the hell I was I what the hell I was getting myself into you know all I knew is I wanted more medals and I wanted the experience you know and uh that was really it man like I just didn't think about consequences about any of that stuff you know it didn't come until well after the fact you know and i didn't know what to expect i was terrified you know of course i was but i was also excited it was kind of had that same feeling like when i was going back to boot camp like i don't know what this is going to be about but i'm going to do it (laughs) and we're going to see you know so So you do do it and what happens that was that was a that was a wild experience too you know i had a very unique kind of a um perspective while I was there because I was with a medical unit I wasn't with the grunts you know I wasn't with uh you know so I got to see the side of war that uh not many people get to see even the grunts I mean of course the grunts have it super bad um but I got to I dealt we dealt with a lot of the death and dying part of it you know and in fact uh one of one of my best friends I had known for years going back to one of them I first when I first uh, joined the Corps, uh, died in front of me on, on our table in our hospital, you know. And so it was it was a very intense, uh, you know, eight months, six, eight months I was there. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, what, what else can be said about about that kind of stuff? Well, I have one thing you can share with us, Mark, and we are speaking with Mark Allen, a former Marine who is now the director of Feast of Crispins uh, in, in Milwaukee, and we're going to get on to that story. But for right now, let me ask you about the mission in Iraq. Did you believe in the mission? Uh, that seems to be critical for oh, all yeah. of us going off. Did you believe oh, on it at the beginning? Did it stay there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, um, yeah, of course, I was all in. 23, young, you know, just with a high school education, politics, philosophy, spirituality, and all those types of those abstract things didn't come until yet later in my life reflection and all that kind of stuff. But at the time, yeah, absolutely. I mean, 9-11 just happened. Uh, everyone, everyone just re-enlisted, were ready to go, wanted, you know, wanted to go and get some and all that. And there was no real question about the pretext of why we went in there, which for me personally, and I know I think I can speak for a lot of other guys, uh, was a real uh, cause of, of uh, discontention and other things uh, when I, really started to reflect on it and uh, the more macro uh, issues, you know, the, the geopolitics of it, the whole, you know, the whole question of what we were doing there. Why are these people dead? You know, all, all that kind of stuff. All those things really came to the surface years after the fact. But at the time, no, I was just, I was Sergeant of Marines and uh, was just kicking ass and taking names. That was it. Wow. Um. So you have been through the experience of the, uh, you know, I was an infantry soldier and it was always that, that contradiction of having the medic next to us, the medical person there. Here we are, our responsibility is to take life and, and my heroes, yeah. along with the door gunners on helicopters and helicopter pilots, were the medics at 18, 19, 20 years yeah. old as you were trying to repair these people, trying to keep them alive. So one's taking life, one is, uh, yeah. one is trying I mean, to I'm save life. And what a responsibility for guys your age. Well, well, yeah. So, I mean, I got to participate in, in a lot of that, which I never, that's not why I joined the Marines. Uh, but somehow I ended up in a situation where I was in charge of a, of a small, like half platoon of Marines that were there to support the doctors and the corpsmen, you see. So all the, the uh, infrastructure stuff, security, transportation, training, all that stuff kind of fell on, on my head. And I had a gunny who was in, who was a head of, who was in charge of us. Um, but I basically did almost everything. I ran that whole fucking show, really did all the work, made sure the Marines were doing their shit. And, you know, I kind of, I don't know, man, like if, if from a from a philosophical or spiritual perspective, I, I kind of feel like I was there to just kind of witness what was going on. You know, I wasn't, didn't really participate because I wasn't a doc and corpsman. Of course, I, we helped along the peripheral, but our job was really to make sure that the docs had everything they need so that they could do their job. And then we supported them uh, at any, every step of the way. Um, you know, so it, it was, it was crazy, man, you know, and Impressive. of course, yeah, I mean, you're young, you don't, you know, and, and, and let me tell you, the, the corpsmen, the docs that we worked with were phenomenal. man. like I would, if I got injured there, I wouldn't feel the least bit worried about anything because those docs were just, they were awesome. They had really good outcomes in terms of their survival rates and everything. And yeah, I mean, those guys were amazing. Some of the shit I saw them do was just boggle the mind. So. Let me ask you this, Mark, before we go on to your leaving Iraq and your expectations on going home. Uh, you had mentioned earlier that you're there and you're, you're the cowboy. You're all set. You want the excitement. You want to be there. The medals, uh, 
you, you know, no fear, all that sort of thing. But now you're actually in, in, in this particular position, seeing this, uh, the results of war, you're seeing yeah. the damage, the wounds and everything. Is that eye opening for you? Is you say, holy absolutely. cow, this is not what I thought I was going to see. I mean, oh, people absolutely. actually get hurt. Holy absolutely. cow. Well, think about it, man, Michael. I mean, psychologists and, you know, people who study human development, you know, and particularly, I think this, uh, this, uh, uh, applies to young men. You know, we don't, our upper, our higher reflective uh, cognitive faculties are not fully developed until we're like 25 years old. And I think that it's a real travesty and uh, an injustice that we take young men, young people who don't even have the, the, really the capacity, the, the cognitive capacity to reflect on what it is, the fuck it is that they're doing. We, I mean, we take advantage. It's, it's very exploitative. If you ask me, you know, now where I am now and I reflect on it and I, uh, you know, I've been through college and I've really, I've really taken a lot of time to reflect on that whole experience. And, uh, I'm angry about it. Uh, I'm deeply, deeply hurt and insulted and offended. And, you know, that's just, I don't know what to make about it now, man. I mean, it, it I, I think it's a I very legitimate point. It's a very legitimate point, though, Mark, and it's absolutely true because, you know, I had the same thing. But if we go back just to something you said earlier, the guys came home and they had the uniforms and they had the medals and you wanted yeah. the medals and you wanted the, you know, to see the action. And you wanted to get over there, but you don't you know, realize until you see it what the yeah. action really represents, the, the, yeah. the barbaric of what human beings do to each other. You know, in this, I think would be a good, you know, I, I'm not Catholic anymore, but I, I'm a deeply spiritual person, you know, and that I think is an outward expression of all of that reflection and that experience being in Fallujah and all that. And uh, I, in my opinion, I firmly believe that nothing offends the almighty more than human beings being violent, violent towards each other. And, um, you know, I'm ashamed of for it, you know what I mean? And, and I don't know, I don't really know how to articulate it because it's just, it's, it's insane. We don't have, we wouldn't have enough time to go through it all in one podcast. I agree, I agree with you 100%, but I think I, what your point is very well taken because we do feel like we're invincible at 18 and 19. Yeah. We do think this is all going to be something, but the trauma is more significant because when, when, when we actually see what we're getting into yeah. and you know, that I mean, it's not about uh, this invincibility and the invincibility isn't there, it, it, it yeah. is something that's light, lifelong. And it would be very different, I think. You know, the guys who came back from, you know, Europe, in the South Pacific in the forties, I think, uh, had a little bit different, had the advantage of one, the country back home was, was all in. I mean, there wasn't anyone or anything that wasn't part of that, that mission. And two, they knew what they were doing and they knew why. And there was an actual goal, you know, and, uh, there was a victory part there for us. It, you know, the, for me, when I really started, uh, when, I, when it really sunk in that the entire pretext, and I know a lot of some people don't, don't adhere to this, but for me, when the uh, pretext for the, in, the invasion itself, when I really put it under scrutiny, um, really made me, it really sunk me in my heart and in my soul. Because I realized that, uh, you know, we were just kind of pawns, that my friend, I'm not sure what he died for, if anything at all. Uh, I don't know. I think the, the mission that why we were, I mean, look at what happened just, you know, in the last couple of years, uh, uh, you know, we've, we got out of Iraq. We just got out of Afghanistan, both of which I fully support. Um, and we completely failed. I mean, the situation over there is no better than, you know, 
And I think a part of that is, is uh, American culture. We have this kind of hubris that we think that we know it better than everyone, uh, that everyone, of course, the Iraqis want us to come and topple Saddam. They, of course they want us because we're America. It's us, baby. Who doesn't want to be like us? You know, it's this conceit, this arrogance, this hubris that we can do no wrong. And, you know, I'm here to tell every all Americans that's just not true. We did some inadvertent, horrible things, you know, and uh, I, I think collectively as a society, we're all culpable. We've all got blood on our hands because of our ignorance, our arrogance, um, our, our inability to reflect, our apathy, a whole host of different things, you know. And it, But I don't know. would it be fair to say, so now <clears throat> your idea of the mission is changing, obviously, even though it may oh, have changed after. Changed yeah, it time. has been changed. So now there's an effect, and we don't need to go into it now, maybe a little bit later, Mark. But uh, so now your effect on your belief in God, and, and not a lot of us will talk about that. The, you know, the, the organized religion, that whole thing is failing for you, but you're going to have to find another replacement for organized yeah. religion, which you are referring to as spirituality, which we'll get into again. But I, I think what you're sharing, Mark, is so valuable for so many of us to hear uh, because that is the change from this kid. Again, and I'm going to take you back to when you saw your buddies coming home from the original invasion into Iraq, and they had the medals on their jackets, uh, on their uniforms, and, uh, you know, you wanted to be like that. You wanted that experience. You wanted to, Now you see what the experience is worth. Uh, are the medals worth it? You know, would, would be a good question. You don't have to answer that. Uh, but so now you you are getting unless you want to uh, you, you know the, the the value the the value of the medals means something completely different now than it did when you first saw them. Well, I got I think it's I got to be careful here, you know, because I'm not saying that the medals are are don't have value or that the actions and all you know what i mean uh, but no, no i guess what i'm saying is they don't have the value you thought they had they have a different value yeah i mean it had a, a higher yeah, respect yeah. i don't feel i i mean I, every veteran is going to have to uh decide for themselves where they come down on this right. but i do not feel much pride for the mission of what we do over there. i feel enormous pride for my friends and and all the people who in the bravery and the no, nobility that you know that was unbelievable i'm not diminishing that at all. Yeah. My shtick is my anger, my angst, my, my, my sense of powerlessness, my frustration, my hurt uh, is directed more towards the, the, the politics of it, right? The whole purpose of being there yeah. on a macro level, on a micro level, you know, all of those, because the people who were there were operating on the, on the assumption that what we were doing was noble and good. That's why they were there. I mean, if George Bush came out and said, hey, we're going to go invade Iraq just because, I really doubt that a lot of people would have gone along <laughs> with that. You know, but we believed in the mission. I mean, America had just got attacked in a horrible way. My God, you know, of course, we were all in on this, we, you know. But then as, years, as the years go by and, we, and, and it just, you just start to think and reflect and, you know, I went, you know, college was a big influence on me too, uh, uh, you know, uh, getting into reading and and. You know, listening with with an open ear to the critiques, you know, and the scrutiny, and which is very, very important. You know, if you're not listening to the critique and to scrutiny, um, then you're just drinking Kool Aid. You know what I mean? Then you're just you're just another idiot out there who's just taking one side of things, and uh, you're not getting the full picture on stuff. You know what I'm saying? I then do. you're just ideological. Yeah. That's that's. Again, that's that same kind of intellectual laziness and apathy that we have to get over. 
And uh, my mission, my, you know, nowadays, you know, when I see or hear people that are, you know, uh, getting kind of chicken hawkish, you know, or being pro-war or, you know, sounding the drums or just feeding into that whole narrative that comes out of a lot of media and everything, it drives me nuts. And uh, I don't, I don't take the time to comment like on social media. I will call that person or FaceTime them so they can see me. And my first question to them is, oh, man, that's, that really, that's great that you support that. So when are you leaving? Yeah. <laughs> when are you leading us And then, there? <laughs> and then it, that comment stops for a second. It's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. So what are you saying? You, you're not going to go and do this? You're going to let someone else go? Hmm. Yeah. It's kind of weird, man. You know what I mean? So oh, it's just, I do. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because, and I think it's, 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 it's something else to hear directly from a, from a, from a veteran yeah, who's been know. there. Like I, I agree with you 100%. One of my best friends in high school uh, during the draft uh, received his draft notice, and he, he had also received uh, scholarships to Annapolis and West Point. Uh, and he wrote a letter to President Nixon at the time. He was very, very well-versed in what was going on in the world in the mission of Vietnam. And he wrote a letter to President Nixon and said, as soon as you go to Vietnam, I'll go. And uh, he had a visit from the Secret Service just to right. find out if he was crazy yeah. or not. But that's the attitude you're talking about. You really uh, you want to go? Okay, we'll go and we'll follow you. How is that? Uh, yeah. So now you're getting ready to go home uh, from Iraq and uh, your expectations on uh, going back home to the center of Wisconsin, the CETA. Yeah. And what do you find out? What happens? Who are you when you get home? Man, I, well, everything was, you know, everyone was just living their night. Life. It was so surreal. It was surreal. Like I didn't know. I just, I was just kind of like in a, in a fog, you know, like how, you know, I got, matter of fact, I could show you up in that, my closet up here. I got, I kept all the letters I got while I was in boot camp and while I was in Fallujah, I got letters from people. I, you know, I had no idea who they are, you know, uh, just from all over the place. And I never wrote back to anyone. And I always thought maybe one day I was going to write back to all these people, but I mean, I just didn't know how, what can I say? Well, what can I tell them? You know, uh, they're not going to like what, if I'm being honest, there is, it's just, you know what I mean? I could just didn't know how to feel. I didn't know how to talk. And when I came home and I saw everyone still partying, having a good time, America is just, you know, humming along, you know, things are, nothing's, nothing changed, man. It's like, it's like this, this, this insanity is going on on the other side of the world in our name. And no one really seems to give a shit. It's like, you know, again, going back and not, not to, not to beat on that old drum about the, the politics part of it, but it seems, it seems to me like it's uh, in one regard, I understand why it is that way. And that as a veteran, you kind of carry the responsibility and the burden uh, of, of holding that in so that society can, can, can move on with a sort of blissful ignorance, you know, like people, they don't want to really know. They 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 feel much more comfortable just shaking your hand, telling you, you know, uh, feeding you some platitude like "thank you for your service," which drives me fucking crazy. <laughs> um, but I I I, I try to be magnanimous and yeah. not let my you know. Uh, but I think you know the the public they just don't want to know it, man. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to know it. They would rather just be in their pretend world. But my my mission has been look. You think God is gonna let you let us all pass like you had nothing to do with it? No, I don't know. It's not. You're gonna have a rude awakening, rude awakening, because we're all part of this, man. We all make these decisions, and uh, you know, if we just put our head in the sand or go like this, you know, a mature, 
society does not do that. You know, a mature society that really cares about its own citizens, its place in the world, especially the United States, because we are so powerful. We, we need to be more responsible, man, because if the, the way that we just flippantly just, eh, you know, is maybe, not maybe it's good for us though, as veterans to take some of that responsibility in, in doing exactly what you're doing. And that's talk about it. Educate Absolutely. the people on what's actually happening out there, uh, because that is a, just a very, very common response. Let me just say, you know, I, I'm not trying to set up a straw man or nothing, you know, but it, it's been my experience that, you know, most people, they don't really want to know, but it's not so much, it's not because they don't care. It's because they don't know what to do. You know, they, they are very uncomfortable. I think they feel a, a sense of guilt. There is, you know, I noticed, and so they, uh, some shame in there too, you know, so it's, they just don't know how to react. And they, so they just, you know, give you the regular platitude and, and, uh, and that's it. And that's just because of our uh, lack of communication. We don't interact with veterans so much. We kind of put them off to the side, and then this group over here, we throw a bunch of money at them, and, you know, we don't have to worry about it anymore, you know. And, uh, but I know, like, you know, what we do with Feast of Crispian after our, uh, our, our productions, we have we set aside some time for talkbacks so that the veteran performers can answer questions and talk with and, and, and uh, interact with uh, the community members. The, the, the audience, you see. We're so. speaking with uh, Mark Allen, former Marine who served in Fallujah, uh, Iraq, and who has now come home. We're going to get to a feast of Crispins right now, uh, but just t- share with us, now you're talking about coming home and interacting with the, the public in general. What yeah. about interacting directly with your family? How, how, was the, how did that come home? And the reason I ask that, because a lot of us come home as veterans and it's about us. We were at war. We yeah. were the ones. And there's no intimacy or interest with the family. Yeah. And uh, certainly not what we expected, not what they expected. And then go on to maybe share, uh, you're going back to school. And was that a challenge for you? And then take us well, into the things you're doing with Feast of Crispins. You know, it, it, things happen over time. You know, so coming right back home, I felt like I was pretending a lot. I felt like I was playing a role, an old role that I had was familiar with before I even joined the Marines. And, but I was totally different. And I just, you know, you, you don't know how to communicate. You can't relate with your family and friends anymore because they're still in this place collectively where not much has really changed for them. So a lot of the old stories and jokes and, you know, how they just kind of interact is, is, has relatively has remained relatively unchanged. Whereas you, you've been off and done all this wild stuff and uh, you're a completely different person. So trying to reconnect, I mean, it's still a struggle, you know? And uh, for me, and and going back to this, to that point about, you know, you have young, young, not just young men, but young people who don't really know who they are. They haven't experienced much, you know, and they're just kind of floundering. So, you know, for me, joining the Marines, it gave me that direction. It gave me a sense of identity, you know, uh, stepping into the Temple of Mars as the, as Carl Marlantis, you know, a Vietnam uh, vet, talked about in one of his books. In terms of, like, archetypal, you step into the Temple of Mars and you kind of become the warrior, which is the whole initiation process as you go into boot camp and so forth. And then when you get, you know... There's a really good recruitment phase, but there's no decruitment phase coming out of the service. You're just handed your papers, you know, hasta la vista, go with God, best of luck to you, go get, you know, and then you're just thrown back out there without any decompression phase, you know, and, and uh, 
you know, that persona, that identity that you have being in, you know, once you've taken on that, you know, warrior archetype, you identify yourself with that doesn't come, com, isn't compatible with your fans and family and, and, and general civilian life. So for any vet, you know, and this is, I think, a kind of a bottleneck that a lot of veterans go through is you still want to connect with that military lifestyle and then try to balance between that and your new life, you know, family and friends and reconnect there. But what I realize is it's really hard, I think, for some guys to, to hold on to both. It's like you're playing kind of both and you try to, you're fumbling, trying to find some way to synthesize the two. Where what I think the real, the, the real, uh, what should be happening is this decruitment part where you let go of that old identity and you come back to the person you were before you even joined the service. In other words, you step out of the temple of Mars, right? You surrender the warrior identity and archetype out of yourself. And that's, you can't do that when you just are handed a DD-214, given a bus ticket back home, and then that's it. There's no mechanism or apparatus or system in place that because look when you join the military it's not just a physical or mental thing it's a psycho spiritual process man it's a complete complete commitment it's a complete yeah it's a complete destruction of your self-identity individualism and then you're in an imposition of a whole other identity you know i I would say it's even it's even a destruction of your reality absolutely it's a complete reorientation you know and uh and, you know, and it, everyone's different. Certain, some guys, it's way more uh, intense than it is for others, you know. Um, I would say for me, it was pretty intense because I was so young, so impressionable, and I had no idea what the fuck I was doing, but I did it. But then the bottleneck is for a lot of guys who, who when they come home, is trying to get through that phase with hardly any support, any meaningful and substantial support. It's more than just getting a fucking job. You know what I'm saying? It's more than just that. It's what it's, it's, it's all, it's, it's those deep human questions. What were we doing there? Why did this happen? Was it normal? Where's the value in it? You know, what, 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 what the hell just, you know what I mean? And then who am I? You know, if I don't, I don't have this community of, of other Marines anymore and I'm stepping back into the world, all of the cultural nuances and uh, customs and courtesies and attitudes, language, right? You know, uh, tattoos, the whole kit and caboodle just does not compute and is compatible. So you have to unlearn all of that stuff and then relearn. And that's super hard to do, especially when you were a Marine. And, you know, every time that you go to a bar, someone is buying you drinks. You know, you're flying back and all over the country in your uniform. People shaking your hands. You know, you get mentioned at your old high school. You know, you're you're like you're elevated to this place and you just get so used to this kind of accolade along with it. And then when you're out, you're right back to Joe Schmo back on the block. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody gives a shit. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, when you go to try to talk to people about it and try to get help, they say, just go take your ass, go to the VFW and get drunk like everyone yeah. else. Or, or take you this know? handful of pills. And- <laughs> take the pills and get the fuck out of here and go be a man like the rest <laughs> of them. You know what I'm saying? That's what it is, man. It is, and, man. And a lot of guys don't make it through that. Mark, this is really valuable information, and we don't want to miss anything. Can we invite you to return with us next Friday and share just how you did overcome these challenges and the inspirational hope you will provide our audience? Uh, We also look forward to hearing about the healing power of the Feast of Crispins and your trip to Peru 
and the experience with medicinal psychedelics. Thank you, Mark. And he has accepted to the invitation, and we look forward to continuing this educational conversation with our guest, Mark Allen, next Friday, July 23rd. Thank you for listening to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War, by Michael Orban. On behalf of Michael Orban, Bob Bach, and Aaron Schraufnagel, thanks for joining us, and please tune in again. 